Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to the Weekly Warrior Podcast, where we are forging genuine human connection through fitness, health, mindset, and nutrition. Let's get to the show with your hosts, Jared Bradford, Connor Edelbrock, and Corey Mueller. You're back with the Weekly Warrior Podcast, where... Every single week, just a couple friends, a couple buds, like I, myself, Jared Bradford, sometimes called Bones, driver of cars, the defender of the sky, the defender of the sky, <laughs> sit down with my friend Corey Mueller to talk about health, nature, meat, history, and whatever else makes life sweeter. Right. Hi, Corey. Hi, Bones. How you doing? I'm wonderful. Feeling good. This is a special edition. We're here at 7.30 a.m. Well, 10.30 a.m. your time. Yeah. This is, I'm, it's late, man. It's, it's late. late for me. It's early for you. <laughs> yeah, this is good. We get in when we can, you know? So happy right. to be here with you this morning. Yeah, I'm happy to be here with you, too. It's kind of fun. This morning, um, I've been going through... First of all, I had a bunch of coffee, so I got. I was real motivated by coffee. And I started going through, I realized that I have, like, a lot of gun parts and various uh, things that I've collected over the years. Because for a while, I got really into collecting old rifles. So, like, I like bolt-action rifles from World War One, World War Two, and I collected a lot of gun parts. And I, had, I just had a lot of stuff, and, and I, I've been carrying that around with me for a while, and I've sold a lot of the rifles I sort of trim my collection down to stuff that I use for hunting and then, uh, you know, just like sport shooting. So I went from, I don't know, like 18 different rifles to, I think I have like seven now. So, um, I was on the internet this morning listing stuff, sort of purging the extra stuff, which I think is always good to do. Like, I, I don't know. We kind of do it like once every quarter, it seems like we go through something. So like right now it's gun parts, but, couple of months ago it was t-shirts or whatever 
and mm-hmm. just kind of purging some of the uh, extra belongings that we've accumulated along the way that man you don't even realize stuff that you don't even use anymore until you start going through it all it's like a nice spring cleaning thing yeah we did that too with, especially with clothes i went through my closet our hiking closet yeah and just got rid of a bunch of crap that we don't need and yeah, we donated like three big bags of clothes. Yeah. Isn't it wild how you you get rid of a bunch of shirts and clothes and whatever, and then all of a sudden you're like doing laundry and putting stuff away and everything and your drawers are full already in your closet. It's like, how do I even accumulate this stuff? Yeah. And so you have to like that's why I think it's important to do that stuff every so often. But the cool thing about getting rid of t shirts is that it opens up more room for new t shirts. And Bones, what do we got going on here with the Weekly Warrior podcast t-shirts? Yeah, we got some t-shirts. Um, they're they're going to be good shirts. They're our first shirt we've ever ran. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you can find them on the Instagram, exactly what they look like. But it's going to be a Bella canvas tri-blend, which is really nice for working outside in the summer. It doesn't, doesn't shrink. It stretches nice, moves with the body, lays on your body nice. And... Uh, the back of it says, Forge On, which is our, has been our running quote here for a couple of years. And yeah. It's uh, the original T-shirt, so it's going to be good. Yeah, it's, it's a uh, very it's a limited run. This first one, and um, we'll see how it goes. And I think we already have a pretty decent amount of sales coming our way, and it's going to be cool because this is the first time we've ever used our own sort of merchandise to to try to make some money that'll go towards the podcast, whether it's like new recording equipment or like we got this sick light that Connor bought on Amazon, stuff like mm-hmm. that will be super cool to invest in also i mean just different recording software if you guys are interested go on our instagram go on our facebook send us some messages our email is at the weekly warrior uh, podcast at gmail.com right mm-hmm. yep so send us an email how much are they 28 bucks if you pick a buck pick them up in uh fresno or clovis which is in california <laughs> or 33 with uh shipping anywhere in the u.s oh yeah sweet so- I like yeah, it. Yeah, it's good. Any support a good cause. Yeah, it's good. Uh, let's see. What else we got? Uh, you take any earth-fed muscle lately? Yeah. I haven't had it this morning because I'm still in my fasting window. Um, mm. So I've had his, the, the coffee this morning. But my, my stack right now for the morning ritual of taking the multivitamins is the, uh, the, act, the morning ritual for earth-fed muscle, their daily multivitamin, the Zen Remedy. Uh, I'm, right now I'm taking Jocko Krill Oil because I have a lot of it stockpiled. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so we got on a new train of called a company called Ancestral Supplements. And they do like desiccated organs. So basically you um, dry out the stuff, cut it into strips, and then dehydrate it. And then you grind it up and you put it into pills and that's so that's the way we've been working on getting some of those minerals and nutrients from the organ sources uh these are all grass-fed cows from new zealand um ancestral supplements sells it and we found it on sale at one of the health food stores that we shop at so we bought it decided to try it this one is interesting so all of the supplements that they carry have a liver in it a liver supplement they also are combined. So like this one is liver and prostate. So it supports prostate health. I mean, basically whatever the, the, or the organ that's in the supplement is, it will help support that organ. So if you're having heart troubles, whatever you take beef heart and, and you know, whatever. So, and they have literally everything they it's nose to tail. They have 
I mean, they have ground up like bones, bone marrow, testicles. beef fallow supplements, like all these. Yeah, they have testicle supplements. They do. Um, mm. It's uh, pretty cool. It's kind of expensive, but um, I definitely notice when I'm taking all of these together and I'm doing it consistently. That's the biggest thing with all of these supplements is consistency. So if I take them consistently, I notice a difference. If I take them like once a week, you know, sometimes you forget to take your supplements and mm -hmm. um, I don't notice the difference as much, but I'm sure you can also vouch for that. So most of our stack is earth fed muscle for sure. I love, I've been digging their casein protein right now, making some casein pudding. Tasty yummy. Oh my God. It's so. Yeah. Yeah. I like, uh, I like, I haven't had their casein, but I'm all about the, the plant protein one. And I just ordered some more, last week so it's coming in and then i got the greens party the chocolate yeah which is a, apparently a new formula they have of all sorts of good stuff in it yeah um to get your greens in so excited to try that when it comes in other yep. than that this usual stuff so you can head over to earthfedmuscle.com and you can use code warrior 10 for 10 percent off on your uh checkout every single time yep. and i would yeah i would totally use their supplements their proteins are some of the best on the market grass-fed grass-finished yeah. cows and that's good stuff I think the, the cool thing about our sort of partnership, if you want to call it that, with Earthfed Muscle, we're not gaining anything by selling these products. We don't get a cut. It's, this is all for the sake of you and your health and our health, um, and we managed to get a discount code for our listeners. So just understand that there's, we're not gaining anything from, by trying to you know, sell these products to you. They're wholesome. They're, it's a small American company. And like Bones always says, there's farmers on hand to make sure that the product that the, the company is putting out is high quality. So don't hesitate. Yeah. Go do it today. Speaking of grass fed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. Grass a, finished. We're just <laughs> killing the transitions right now. <laughs> so, yeah, grass fed. Uh, yeah. Talking about desiccated organs and grass fed beef and whatnot. We also are partnered with uh, Apsi Farms. And they are based out of Reed City, Michigan, which is a regenerative agriculture-based pasture farm. And we get all of our uh, main sources of meat from them. So anything from beef short ribs, which I'm going to be cooking up some today, to beef liver. I mean, you name it, nose to tail, they probably have it. We've gotten brisket from them. We get a ton of ground beef from them. Pork products. All their piggies are happy, free-range piggies. They live in the woods. And they get apples and um, stuff like that. They eat natural. They, you know, they forage around for roots. And man, they live a good life. And I know that because I've went and I've hung out with them out in the woods, and I've touched them and I've seen them. So, yeah, they're happy pigs, man. I'll tell you what, they're happier than a pig in shit. But um, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. Speaking of the, so the grass-fed organs and all that, you can get all that from Apsi Farms. And um, like I say every time we talk about this. The way that they farm the animals is good for the planet. It's good for you. It's good for your family. Um, mm -hmm. I, again, wouldn't wait. I wouldn't hesitate. I would go to apsifarms.com and build your bundle today. And when you check out, you code warrior10 for 10% off your first order. And if you don't live in an area where Apsi Farms will deliver to you, go to eatwild.com and find a local regenerative agriculture farm near you. Again, it's one of those things that you really shouldn't wait on doing. It's, it's so easy and so beneficial for you and your health and also the planet. 
Um, there's a big bill that's being pushed right now from the same people who made the documentary called Kiss the Ground, which is all about regenerative agriculture. There's a bill called Regenerate America that's being introduced into Congress. And basically, it's going to fund um, a, a large portion of trying to get regenerative agriculture more to the forefront of um, local food production and not. And I, I think right now, especially with the way that our economy is and inflation and whatever, you want to find local sources of food. And this is a great way to do it because I know that on our end, we haven't seen any increase in our food prices because we get most of our stuff locally. So from Apsi Farms, it's the same price it's been for the last two years. We don't, I mean, you're paying a little bit extra because it's better for you and they, they truly do care about the animals, but mm. um, we're not reliant on the grocery store as much as the majority of people are. So find a local source of food and you'll, it'll benefit you a lot. Yeah. And at this point with the, honestly, we, since we moved out here, I mean, uh, right now a pack of chicken breasts, just like two titties is like pushing 12 bucks. Wow. Yeah. Which is a lot. That is and, a lot. Uh, for something like at Apsi farms, if it's the same, that same price or maybe a little bit less, maybe, yeah. you know, around that same quote, uh, and it's way better for you than the, it's a, it's an easy decision. And chicken is crazy. Cause when, so when we get store-bought chicken, even when we buy like organic free range, whatever you want to call it, store-bought chicken compared to, um, regenerative agriculture farm chicken. So we've, we've bought it from Apsi farms. And then in the past we, uh, bought chicken from, uh, provision family farms, which I did an interview with Luke back in the day. Um, the difference is clear. Like, you, you put these chicken breasts next to each other or any parts of the chicken, it's super, it's just crazy how different they are. A lot of times your supermarket chicken is just kind of like grayish, pink, whatever. Yeah, land. But yeah. when you buy the, these chicken parts from these local farms, the fat is like a yellow, a hint of yellow, and the, the meat itself is just, I mean, it just looks different. It's a deeper shade. It's more red. It's like more reddish color um and it's pretty clear the difference in their diet and how they're raised and um so anyway and that comes down to micronutrient content nutrient content within the meat so yeah yeah it's good stuff warrior 10 at apsifarms.com they'll deliver almost anywhere in the u.s or you can pick it up locally yeah if you live in the area yep mm -hmm. Cool. Good stuff. All right. Well, we're going to get into the bulk and meat of this episode, huh? So this is a history episode, and we like to do these sometimes. So I'm going to be telling a history, uh, a story from uh, American history or history of the world, and we're going to talk about it. And this one is, it's right up Corey's alley, because he is a, uh, <laughs> he's, he's a defender of the forest, a guardian of the forest. And uh, so we're going to hop into it. And the year we're going back to, my friend Corey, is 18... 1871 man we're going back to when the the buffalo were about to stop roaming we talked about that too <laughs> we did this is 1871 we're not that far west so we're focusing on the midwest and this was a year of painfully dry and hot weather in the midwest including our wonderful home state of michigan and farmers watched as their crops withered and dried, and the harvest was at all-time lows, and the fall season did not bring on any new rains. In fact, they experienced only 25% of the normal rainfall this year. 
The heat affected areas in Wisconsin and northern Illinois as well. So the year is 1871, and Michigan was also in a booming lumber era. Mm-hmm. Logging was in hot demand, and lumberjacks would cut down trees and send them floating down rivers to be harvested and used for sale and for product. This birthed a lot of cities along uh, the rivers, villages, and establishments all along these inner rivers within Michigan, which there's a ton of them, yep. that led all out to the Great Lakes. During this excessively dry season, however, these logs had potential to become tinder as they sat in the heat of the sun all summer long. So like I said, this hot and dry season stretched into Illinois and Wisconsin. The fall season did not bring on any improvements. And on October 8th, 1871, fires near Peshtigo, Wisconsin, and Chicago, Illinois sparked. And no one's certain about how these fires started, but theories are pretty abundant. One of which was that a cow, owned by Mrs. O'Leary, knocked over a lantern in her barn and started Mm. the fire. That's actually crazy because I researched this on several different websites and it all goes back to this fucking cow from mrs o'leary interesting yeah yeah i don't know it's i don't know if it's more of like a folk folklore or just like a silly reason because sure. you know whatever uh, another theory is that meteorites actually started the blaze mm. uh, this theory states that a meteor shower came through the midwest and combined with all the heat and the dryness um the space rocks dropped methane on top of the land and and set up a big time fire risk so basically the meteors came through and shit and farted on our land and then coupled, <laughs> coupled with dry weather you know a fire starts that's how it happens so that's interesting that's really interesting yeah um and they also go back to like how lightning caused it i was gonna say um, the space one seems the least likely the the meteorite seems the least likely to me however yeah i mean it could happen just crazy things have happened yeah we actually come back to that later on so put a pin in that because it gets kind of more interesting there okay uh as the fire in peshtigo wisconsin begins a few hours later a fire in chicago mysteriously appears so the chicago fire of 1871 is super famous uh everyone I, not everyone, but when you when you talk about like the the fire, these fires, the Chicago one like overshadows everything. Uh, cyclone like winds push and carry this blaze at immense speed across the region without warning. The fire in Chicago burns about four square miles of the city, including the entirety of the business district, and it consumed about seventeen thousand buildings and over three hundred lives. Chicago's economy is completely wiped out. The fire is famous and often, like I said, overshadows the following events. The fire in Peshtigo rages on a few hours later as residents desperately try to flee. Some survivors jump into rivers to escape the flames and witness firestorms or what they were described as tornadoes of fire due to the cyclone-like winds pushing the blaze into further chaos. This is up in Wisconsin now. Some of those people who jumped in the rivers and small lakes boiled alive in the oh, 2000 shit. plus degree temperatures. It's fucking terrifying. Yeah, that's wild. Cuz you think you're you're going to be safe in a body of water. Like right. there's no way I can, you know, I'm in the water, that's fine, but then you end up as a lobster burning lobster. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, everyone's like, "Oh, I'm safe." And the fire was so crazy coupled with these winds that it just created like the lake or river 
and then everything around it is fire. Yeah. And yeah, like literally what you said, they're in a pot. You have to, at this time, 1871, you have to remember that there's really no formal, convenient way to warn people mm-hmm. that something like this is coming. You know, there's no... Send a carrier pigeon! Yeah, right. Like, what do you do? What do you do? It, it moved with such a crazy speed that no one really, they couldn't outrun it. You couldn't prepare for it. And there was literally no warning for this thing coming. And there was just flames and destruction on the horizon. And then... Hey, hey, you're just you're done the city's I could over. be wrong but i think the most advanced form of i don't think telephones were around yet but they had you know the telegraph so they can send like morse code and yeah I mean, that would be the fastest way to communicate at that point uh right and even that i mean <laughs> if the fire is happening out in the middle of nowhere and people are dying from that i mean i don't know it's just yeah there's no good way to go about it. <laughs> Not then. No, I mean, Morse code, you're sending beeps, but you need wire and all the communication. Like Morse code travels through right. wire, right? That's, it was all yeah. wired. Yep. So if shit's burning down, no bueno. Right. Uh, basically, at this point, all of Chicago and part of Wisconsin is on fire and no one can stop it or get away. One Chicago resident who was awoken in the middle of the night by the flames put his clothes in a sheet and tied it together to make a knapsack before running out of his home with everyone else. He describes the scene, quote, Everybody was running north. People were carrying all kinds of crazy things. A woman was carrying a pot of soup, which was spilling all over her dress. People were carrying cats, dogs, and goats. In the great excitement, people saved worthless things and left behind yeah. good things. I saw a woman carrying a big frame, which in it which was framed her wedding veil and wreath. She said right. it would have been bad luck to leave it behind. That's so, it's really interesting. I remember when I lived in Colorado there, and I mean, you get this out in California now, like we had a, we had a wildfire very close to Canyon City, like ashes were falling in the, in the area. And it was a couple miles north of town. And I remember thinking, man, I don't have a plan at all. If like this were to be a real wildfire and my house were to be at risk, I don't have a plan for this. I don't know what to take. So I remember I started looking into it a little bit and people who live in wildfire prone areas tend to have these wildfire kits essentially. And they keep valuable documents and uh, various like small valuables together in maybe like a grab and go case. And so if the fires are coming, you grab that and you head out because realistically everything else can be replaced. And I was thinking like, man, if I, so if I had a fire right now, what would I take out of my house? And it's a really, I mean, it's such a tough thing because I have a lot of family heirlooms in my house. I have Mm -hmm. framed photos that I've put together of family members that literally are irreplaceable. Those, the items that are in those uh, collages are, you know, military history and, and whatever. And it's like, that stuff is irreplaceable, but the, the, likelihood of me grabbing those if it's like i gotta go now i'm not i'm not taking those frames off the wall so what do you Mm -hmm. grab in a fire like i don't know think right now what five things would you grab right now if the fire was going to be there in five minutes you had to go because you're right those people in like you're talking about in chicago like what do you grab like what do you even grab Uh, you grab a pot of soup because you might need food you know who knows like So what do you grab? Like I, I'm, I'm asking you. Like, what are your five things you um, take right now? I would grab okay, uh, Millie, yeah, Ryder. There's yep. two. Yep. Honestly, after that, it's like 
whatever, maybe something. I don't, I don't even know. I honestly don't know. Like, as far as like material items in here, like what I'm going to grab my fucking Xbox. Like, I don't think I would grab that. You, uh, and that can be replaced with insurance costs. Right. Like you know? everything else in here is kind of replaceable. And, you know, we have pictures of like family and stuff, but they're all digital as well. Right. Let's see. I have like a cool, like antique Lionel train set that I'm working on building that my dad has helped me build. Maybe oh, I would cool. grab those. But again, so, those so like, that's like, like a family things, heirloom. Maybe. Yeah, that's not a family heirloom. Like it's replaceable. We bought them. They're old. They're old, but we bought them recently. Oh, you didn't tell me you were getting into the, the model train stuff. Yeah. Well, Kevin would yeah. be so proud of you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, the Lionel trains are fucking, they're sweet, man. Yeah. Especially around Christmas time is when I get into it. Right now I'm kind of cold. Dude, he's building a train room right now. You're gonna have to. It's pretty you're cool. You're gonna have to see it. It's wild. Yeah, he, nice. he does a sick job. Anyway, so that's maybe three things. What yeah, else? maybe three two more. What do you got? I would grab my snake plant. There's four. Oh. And what's so special about? Just out. I don't know anything about. It's snake alive. Plant. It's alive. It's what alive. Okay. It's alive, man. It's alive. <laughs> um, it's a cool snake plants. Are cool, man. They're hard to. They're like impossible to kill. Very hard to kill. Huh. Um, they. Within about a hundred square feet of your house, they uh, clean the air, so they're natural air cleanser. Oh, interesting! You, you need a lot of them. A hundred square feet's not very big to like purify your air, quote unquote. So you need quite a few. But we have one. We've had it for years, and he's a cool plant. And number five, I don't know. I this is hard because again, I think it's material item. Uh, maybe like a bag of bagels, just in case we're hungry out there. Like a <laughs> pot of soup. I'd rather bag a pot of soup. Yeah, <laughs> but like. Do you have important documents like your social security card, your birth certificate, like stuff like I mean, that? I mean, maybe, but like I can go online and get those. Yeah. Uh, I do have, I don't know, maybe like I have like a, my old wallet has some credit cards in it and stuff. I don't, I don't know. But like, those See, are isn't that, that's an interesting question that we, we often don't think about because we live in a, a time where like, I don't know, especially in Michigan, like what? We don't have natural disasters here, although I should. We had there was a big tornado in Gaylord this, a couple of weeks ago. But that's that's the exact thing is like if that happens, like there's a tornado coming and you got two minutes to get out and go. Like mm-hmm. realistically, the two the the things that are necessary are we have Annie the dog, Leah the cat. After that, like I hate to say it, but like everything is sort of replaceable except for some of the family yeah. stuff that I have, which is unfortunate because. That's the type of stuff that I'd want to throw in the car and keep. Like, I've got all my guns, which some of those are not replaceable. They're like family heirloom, unfortunately. But Mm -hmm. those, they're also not on the priority list. If I had time, they're getting loaded in. You know what I mean? If I had an hour, that stuff is going to go. The the family photos on the wall that are not digitalized, they're going to go. So it just depends on time and you have to prioritize what's important. If I have a minute, it's pets. Connor, we're out. You know yeah. what I mean? But that's just an interesting question that I thought of, you know, when when we're talking. Yeah. Yeah. What the hell do you even grab? Because what do you that's grab? the thing. That I mean, hurricanes, wildfires, tornadoes, all these natural disasters where people panic and don't have a plan. Maybe it would be beneficial for you to have some sort of plan for that type of stuff if it if it were to happen. Yeah, and you can't like the, what you said with the tornado in Gaylord, that's what actually sparked this. I was like, mm. man, 
Has there ever been a tornado up there? Like, what, other, what, what else has happened in Michigan? That's there's right. Never that's why you live in Michigan, tornado. right? You don't, there's no severe weather like that. Yeah, there's no hurricanes. There's nothing. It's the first tornado to ever touch down in Gaylord. That we know. And it was a bad I mean, one. Like it was a it was a bad one. People some like of the video people died. Scary. They decimated uh, like a large strip of the main part of Gaylord, and mm-hmm. it's wild. Like, and it, that stuff can happen at any time. It's great. It's yeah. you like you got to be somewhat prepared for some of these things. I would say. Like the majority of people aren't prepared for yeah, large. Like, think- I want to. I don't want to say like cataclysmic events, but it's sort of like a cataclysmic event when that happens. So what the fuck yeah. are you supposed to do? <laughs> and the fire comes so quick. Even this it one does. in particular, we'll get into more details about why. But it it comes so fast. If you ever go YouTube, like a fire, a forest fire moving like quickly or whatever, it's yeah. terrifying. It's like a rainstorm. Like you know, ever have a rainstorm just come on like that? Yeah. imagine fire uh it's very scary and you can have a little bit of warning in some cases but it it happens so fast like as soon as it's on you you're it's it's on you there's no yeah. there's nothing you can do about it there's also a big wildfire up uh in gale in the pigeon river state forest area uh there is, near is still there was no it's control it's been controlled and it's been put out okay. but it was a big one it burned a lot of acreage i don't know i don't have exact numbers on me but Everyone was saying that the uh, state of Michigan was responsible for that, and they started it, and whatever. When it, I mean, it was a lightning strike, but yeah. Back to Chicago. It's, well, actually, we're moving. Okay, uh, we're that moving. That same day, across Lake Michigan, mm. residents in Holland gathered together to try and help put out some small flames that appeared in the southern part of town. Within hours, winds increased to hurricane strength. Wow. These winds originated in the Great Plains and roared into the Midwest to form a perfect storm scenario, combining with the fires to create a deadly duo. As the sun went down, the flames grew higher, and there was no hope to save the town as buildings began to burn to the ground. One resident, quote, The entire territory covered by the, the fire was mowed and as clean as with a reaper. There was not a fence post or a sidewalk plank or hardly the stump of a shade tree left to designate the old lines. It's crazy, too, because I'm thinking like Holland back in that time, Holland, Michigan must have been majority was had to have been wooden building. Yeah. And that happens a lot in big cities and little I mean, little cities. You think of like the big fires that happened in Tokyo. um, Mm -hmm. This was. Like, I don't remember. It was 1800s, 1700s. Anyway, it was a long time ago. It was a mostly wooden city, Chicago. There was probably a lot of wood buildings. And after when they, that happens and they rebuild, they don't rebuild with wooden materials a lot of times because yeah. well, that could happen again. Yeah. Well, you learn your lesson real quick. Yeah. Right. Uh, so uh, it was mostly wood. I mean, what else did they have? It was like a huge timber. Wooden uh, sidewalk planks. Yeah, wooden yeah. sidewalk planks. That's how they wooden used to plumbing. build them back then, back in yeah. the day. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, at this time, fire departments were just catching on. It wasn't until the Civil War that government-run fire departments became a thing. So this is 1871. Mm-hmm. This is just after the Civil War. Yep. It's starting to become a thing. Smaller towns generally don't quite have them. Ben Franklin actually formed the first fire department in the 1700s, but these types of departments were generally found in larger cities, mm. such as Chicago. But they don't quite yeah. work out there. Um, It was just you and your neighbors. Uh, They had bells they rang in emergencies, and basically people had enough time to notice that the winds were picking up and followed shortly by bright orange glows, and within minutes the fire was on their doorsteps. 
Some residents did fight the fire fairly successfully in Holland, holding it at a steady. But once the winds picked up, everybody Over. just dr- dropped and ran. They yeah. were out. The Holland fire destroyed 76 businesses, 243 homes, five churches, three hotels, five warehouses, and 45 other buildings, wow. totaling a loss of uh, just over a million dollars in that time. And that's like, you know, billion now, probably. That's like um, Jeff, Be- Jeff Bezos' net worth now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is the same day as the Chicago fire and the Wisconsin fire, and it didn't stop in Holland. A fire also broke out in Manistee on the same day. Wow. Coupled with the intense seasonal heat, the abundant dry timber on this day, hurricane-like winds, and the fires raged across Michigan throughout the day and night, only to be stopped by the shores of Lake Huron on the other wow. side of the state. Yeah. So if you're familiar with Michigan, Manistee and Holland are on the west side, and this ripped through the middle of the state Wild. to get to Lake Huron, yeah. which is hundreds and hundreds of miles across uh across the other side of the state in just over 30 hours the fires from manistee and holland ripped through grayling big rapids and grand rapids it followed the timber trails and went through midland isabel county and the bay counties it did not affect gratiot county which did not have a timber trade it's interesting from bay city the embers drifted with the high winds into uh i don't know how to say this city caro C-A-R-O. I think it's just Caro. Caro, okay. Yeah. It's still a city there. In yeah. Caro, which had an extensive lumbering community. This allowed the fire to set the entire thumb ablaze. So they actually have old maps of where this fire burned. Litter the entire thumb. Yeah, wild. Is in flames. Residents across Michigan and in the thumb were blinded by intense smoke and 100-foot flames. They jumped into rivers, wells, or rushed to the shores of Lake Huron to escape certain death. Many saved themselves by wading in the water. One small rowboat held nine children as they rowed away for three days to safety in Canada, and all but one of one people survived that ordeal. Hmm. People are getting in boats going to Canada, just like literally. This is like I mean, that's like the apocalypse. That I mean, this is literally it was like hell on earth. I bet you know animals. It's like remember the wildfires in Australia. Like animals were running around like they're you know it's just that's it's Panic. literally like hell on earth so it's yeah, i remember those crazy. fires in australia man that was and those were really time. bad that was really yeah. bad i mean the deaths of i mean hundreds of thousands of creatures and loss yeah. of homes it, this, so this stuff still happens it, it's crazy Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. 
We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Um, these Michigan communities were small at the time, but did their best to fight the fires. But with the strong winds, there was no hope. Waiting in the waters of Lake Huron was their only hope. But this was also difficult due to excessively large waves caused by the intense winds. Come on, man. <laughs> I know, it's horrible. You can't win. Uh, many did not survive. For those that did, it took up to 24 hours of waiting in the cold water, because this is October, before oh the fires God. began to die down. Yeah, so the water is like 50 degrees. Yeah, it's horrible. This is a horrible, horrible situation. Yeah. Uh, so when they did get out of the water, they were able to dry themselves, uh, dry and warm themselves with the by embers the from <laughs> by the fire. All right, uh, things are looking up. <laughs> Ain't that bad. I see this as an absolute win. <laughs> I see this as an absolute win. This is quite nice. Uh, only to be met with a rainstorm. And this rainstorm did wonders for the fires in the Midwest. And by October 10th, uh, two or three days later, all the flames were out. This was good. But if you know what happens when you pour water straight on a fire, it also caused a mountain of smoke that lasted yeah. for days and weeks. Right. Smoke that was described as a, quote, monster that blocked out the sun. Yeah. Can't even imagine. Wow, that's insane. Isn't it crazy how, like, learning in life, like, there are, are always the ripple effects and, like, the side effects that you'd never think about? Mm -hmm. Like, a fire starts. Okay, well, all right, well, let's just jump in fucking water, right? That's what I would do. I would yeah. jump in water. Yeah. And then you boil alive. All right, right, let's jump in Lake Huron. It's a huge lake. Yep. All right, well, it's really windy, and now there's waves, and I'm freezing cold, and now I have hypothermia. Yeah. And now the rainstorm comes. It's like there's always side effects to things. Like, man, even with COVID, like, oh, stay home. You know, don't go around people. All the crazy side effects that we and just we're lived seeing through of that, that exactly. We're still we're seeing, seeing the side effects like, that now that no one ever saw coming. They were just like, hey, man, do this thing. Uh, I, man. I have a lot to say on that. I, I, I won't get into it right now, but I think we're seeing the consequences of stay, like isolation and learning from home and whatever, especially with young people. Like we see some of these mass shootings that are happening lately mm -hmm. and they're young, they're 18 year old, they're young people. And you got to wonder the last two years has been extremely challenging. So not only is there very little social interaction, there's also like a large uh, increase in like, I don't, know, I don't want like radicalization of lots of different things. So communities all, all over the place, you know, it can be from far right, like second amendment people to far left, like, uh, you know, communities, there's a lot LGBT LGBTQ communities, whatever. And these kids are just on the internet being privy to all of that during a time when there's no social interaction that's genuine and real. So, yeah, the consequences of the of all of the all the shutdowns, you know, yeah. people that knew apparently knew better than us. I would I would say they were full of shit. I just, I don't think anyone knew. You know, it's just like do the do the thing, and we don't know what's going to happen, but do the thing. 
anymore. But yeah, the, I, I like what you're saying. There's consequences for all the action. I, I think that with these wildfires, it just brings up to me like we we've talked about being prepared and and having some knowledge on some of this stuff in previous mm-hmm. podcasts, especially with when we talked about recreating responsibly. Like you go into a new situation, be prepared, have a plan, have some knowledge on what to do if this happens, because it might not, but it it very well could. So talking about this wildfire it's like what would you take with you if that if if a natural disaster were to happen and i think that there's a difference between crazy like when you talk about like prepping doomsday prepping to like just every day like maybe have a little bit of extra food on hand maybe start collecting rainwater and uh, make a like a rainwater barrel or like you know like stuff like that what are you gonna do if a wildfire happens and it pushes you to the coastline and then you're stuck like what are you going to do? You, I mean, people just don't think about that because our world is so like homogenized and easy and at least in, in the United States. And, um, it's really just, it, uh, yeah, it's interesting to think it's, about all that stuff. You know, it's easy in the sense of, okay, we don't expect for our lives to be upended. Oh yeah. Any, any, at any time. Right. Yeah. But there's always, I mean, yeah, it's how can, how do you prepare for like the worst disaster? You don't. You don't. You don't. <laughs> you don't. It's really fucking hard. You just kind of have to react and respond to it. How do you prepare for small, like daily occurrences? Yeah, you like, you know, you get ready and you you prepare. Right. But a fire like this, they didn't know. That's no. the, we'll get into more like about like how like why it happened and what they did. But people literally didn't know back then that like the timber trade is a horrible like, and the way that they treated their lumber and their forest was yeah. just setting this up right um yep. so it's it yeah okay let's continue. it's always it's always true because nature will nate like they say in uh jurassic park nature finds a way nature like nature will always way. find a way to, yeah. to do what it needs to do and nature just does its thing it doesn't give a fuck about us yeah um people's lives were ruined uh, entire yes. cities towns and industries were decimated survivors had nothing left to do with their lives destroyed, they began to walk toward the shores of Lake Huron. This, these were those that, uh, you know, didn't quite live on the shore. Um, this fire ripped through in two days. And if you think there's no cars, people are just from Grayling, um, from, from Isabel counties, Riding counties, horses, start, walking. Yeah. yeah. If they're horses, yeah, they're just walking towards Lake Huron looking right. for rescue. Yep. Uh, there's no quick way to make contact with anyone outside to say, hey, we need help, like right now. Uh, there's no. There's no telephone, there's no airplanes, there's no roadways, there's no cars. Yep. Uh, when literally everyone around you is in the same situation, it's really bad. Like, shit is so bad because this happens so fast, and there's no one out there running to get help. Like, you send Billy on his horse to go get help, yeah. and, you know, he'll maybe be there in a day or two, uh, like, to get somewhere outside of these fires. Especially then right. your infrastructure has been mostly destroyed. So there is no telegraph system. You have to go and right. send messages with some, like, you know, a, with a messenger. Send a horse boy. Yeah. And yeah. no one outside the fires knows really the extent of them yet. Um, so Detroit wasn't affected. Detroit was the next biggest city over that wasn't affected by this too much. Um, and the days after the fire, news s- starts to make its way to Detroit that survivors are gathering on the coastline um, in, in the few cities that had been burnt in the thumb. People were showing up in Port Austin with singed hair, blistered faces, and with their clothes burnt off their back. 
Glen Haven. Okay, there's a lot of cities I'm about to name. See yeah. if you recognize any of them. Yep. Uh, Glen Haven, White Rock, Forestville, Sand Beach, Port Hope, Grindstone City, Elm Creek, Huron City, Forest Bay, Center Harbor, Rock Falls, Verona Mills were almost totally obliterated, and the residents were left destitute without food, shelter, and with only the clothes on their back, and winter is only weeks away. Right. Uh, more day. I, I haven't really heard of any of those little sell- settlements. Um, I've heard of some of them, but most of them I've never heard of. Yeah, that, they Grindstone like, City sounds super cool. <laughs> yeah, like some of them are like, man, these are badass little city right. names. Um, yeah. I'm pretty. Some of them might have been just wiped out. Yeah. Uh, more days went by before rescue relief was underway. The effort was to be HQ'd at Port Huron. A plea for ships was sent across the Great Lakes. One ship. The steamer SS Comet was making its way from Wisconsin to Port uh, Barque, Barquez. Uh, these steamers Barquois. were the Barquois. It's, <laughs> I very, don't know. it's very super fucking French. Yeah, it's probably uh, yeah. <laughs> Barquois. These steamers were the main mode of transportation in Michigan since there were no roadways yet. So you just take a steamer from Port Huron, you go all the way up Lake Huron and the, mm. the Mackinac Straits, and just go to Chicago, or you know that's the quickest way. Yep. Uh, it was journeying. Uh, The SS Comet was journeying during the fires on an unrelated voyage, and the crew reported endless flames along the Michigan shoreline. The smoke was so intense that passengers and the crew had to stay in their cabins, and embers would fly so far out onto the lake that the deck had to be clean and scrubbed constantly. Wow. It's crazy. That is Um, crazy. When the fires died down, the smoke was still towering, like we said. Uh, it was so thick that ships had to light their lanterns to avoid collisions as they came into the port to rescue survivors. So picture just like the most foggy day ever, like like a Boston Harbor foggy, just super, super Like dense, the Black Pearl coming smoke. in. <laughs> the Black Pearl, yeah, the Black Pearl coming in, yeah, I love it. Uh, it's a horrible situation, though. I mean, daytime. I've been in uh, California where the smoke has been so bad where it's blocking out the sun. Yeah. It's not dark out, but you it's can't like see a, the sky. It's like a shade over the sun, right? It's yeah. crazy. It's super interesting. Yeah, you've probably seen it, too. In, it happened in, in Colorado, Colorado all the time, yeah. Oh, man, it's so gross, dude. It's like and this weird reddish, sky. like, everything's just, like, red. Yeah, it just looks really overcast, but yeah. no. It's just a thick layer of smoke. And then I've yeah. also flown a plane and flown a plane into the valley. And it's just wild because yeah. you see the smoke billowing and you go into it and you can't see anything anymore. It's like crazy clouds. Anyway, um, here we go. While the official death toll is only 10, there were likely hundreds, if not thousands more. Records were scarce, and there were so many small villages and communities that went off the radar and unnoticed, many lumberjack settlements and salespeople traveling the land. The fire moved so quickly that there was no way way of recounting or knowing the total life lost. Figures range from 2,500 people, with 800 people dying in Peshtigo alone, and that was where, like, the tornadoes of fire were happening. People were dying in lakes. Uh, The river raged over two—or, sorry— the fire raged over 2.5 million acres of land and destroyed 4 billion pounds of prime timber, mm. not to mention the thousands of buildings and businesses, all in a matter of two days. It's, it's nutso how fast yeah. it's moved. N- nowadays, as far as I know, at least out here, fires 
pop up. We've had fires in California burn hundreds of thousands of acres, yeah, which pales in comparison to this. But they're slowly being contained. You all read like, oh, it's twenty percent contained today, thirty percent, forty percent, fifty percent. So it's not like you know it would take like perfect storm where the winds pick up for this right. for these fires to like push anymore. And yeah, you know, firefighters out here are usually you know so good that like we can you know set fire lines and stuff where you actually purposely burn yes a certain so there's area no of fuel forest for the wildfire so no left fuel. The, exactly yeah. yeah so you like stop it's almost like a, a border that you build yeah um, which is interesting uh, they didn't know that back then no because uh, now controlled burn especially like in michigan we do a lot of controlled burns and that helps reduce uh that helps reduce the wildfire frequency but like last year uh, i believe it was the federal forest service did a controlled burn on the east side uh near tawa city and mm. it got out, it got out of control and burned mm. a lot more than they anticipated before they could get it under control so um yeah man even though i mean prescribed burns happen they can get out of control and shit still happens <laughs> yeah yeah totally but that's part of nature, nature though like those wildfires i mean that's part of the growth of forest you burn it all down and it, it growth begins anew yeah. um and there's so many nutrients in those ashes unfortunately that i mean that's just the way it goes and already like up in the pigeon river the wildfires were burning until like two three weeks ago and there's already growth happening like restarting so isn't that weird like the idea that we need to like there's people that maybe don't understand like oh we need to stop forest fires and climate change and all this stuff but the i that idea it seems so yeah like you're not going to stop forest fires. If you try Part to stop nature. forest fires, you make forest fires way fucking worse. And that's what we're right. seeing in California. But yeah, the idea that you need those forests, the fires naturally to happen yeah, in order to stimulate new growth because yeah. all that new stuff on the bottom of the forest, right? This yeah. is what happens. Like, there's a bunch of new fresh nutrients on the bottom of the forest that don't get sunlight. So never... Yeah like grow to maturation yep so they just die they get to be like 10 feet tall and then they die because the the bigger trees you know starve them basically hogging it out and the bigger trees eventually well they're gonna die yep anyway so then to quicken the process like burn it up and start anew yeah Uh, very interesting yeah i i think like as a as a as a community as a whole like Smokey the bear saying only you can prevent wildfires is intelligent Mm -hmm. because as individuals as citizens we should not we shouldn't be trying to you know start wildfires on our own but prescribed burns on the other hand that are controlled and planned that's a whole different thing so like Mm -hmm. yes wildfires are bad when they're you know spontaneous and we don't control them so i think there's a we're not saying that like yeah natural wildfires are great go out and have a fire when the fire danger is high like don't be stupid Mm -hmm. um but you know they're they're used for a reason don't go start a fire in your woods today right yeah we're not advocating for that at all (laughs) um for weeks after the fires the accounts began to pop up of people returning to the areas of holland and manistee and the thumb to begin the rebuilding process lumber companies offered men 35 dollars a month pretty good money to go into burnt up areas and salvage any timber possible imagine there wasn't a lot um, shortly after the eight, here's we go about the meteor thing. Shortly after the 1871 Great Fire, 
Minnesota Congressman Ignatius Donnelly wrote a book called Ragnarok. The book suggested that Bila's Comet, Bila is the name of this comet, I guess, like, okay. uh, uh, I don't know, started the fires. The comet was first discovered in 1821 and had a six-year orbit cycle with Earth. Mm. Bila's Comet likely broke up on its approach towards Earth in 1871 as it was never seen again. Another hypothesis is that... Uh, so, yeah, that comet broke up and spread its methane everywhere and then was basically like oil on, on the dry right. timber. So he wrote a whole book on it, and people still to this day think that's one of the most sound theories that about yeah. this meteor, because they never yeah. saw the meteor again. Right. Um, and it was, that they think that's what happened, which is really kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Another hypothesis is that the near simultaneous fires across the upper Midwest could have resulted from, um, yeah, that autumn meteor, autumn meteor shower. Uh, so this was not just this one comet. It's a meteor shower. This is a popular theory because even those on boats in the area of the Manitou Islands, um, people saw them, the, the islands on fire, mm. which were far out of the area of these mainland fires. So yeah. the comet... It was just like one, uh, one meteor, the Ragnarok book about Bela's Comet broke apart somewhere across Michigan. The meteor shower was like all over the Midwest. Right. And the Manitou Islands were apparently on fire as well. And the Manitou Islands are, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they're up like near Traverse City, off into Lake Michigan. Yeah. I, uh, I, I just, is it the Manitou Islands or is it the Manitoulin Islands? Manitou, 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 M-A-N, man, I-T-O-U. Oh, yeah, the North Manitou and the South Manitou Island. Yeah. Yep. So people on boats saw that those were on fire, too, which nothing goes on on those islands. I'm pretty sure it's, they're just islands. They're managed there. wilderness islands at this Are point. Uh, the, I believe the, the National Park System manages the, the island. Um, okay so there is some stuff but it's i mean it's undeveloped there's there's it's nothing really right. there yeah okay so there's some lighthouses there's lighthouses there um sure. that you go out and I re- i've heard like of work crews having to go out to the island they stay for a few weeks at a time to work on lighthouse stuff or whatever and hmm. um, but yeah that's pretty much all that goes on there you know what's wild i had a book when i was a kid about the manitou islands mm. And it was about how they formed. All right, we're going to oh. go on a side sidetrack here. So how the Manitou Islands formed. Yeah. There was a mama bear and two baby bears. And they were chilling on the coast of Wisconsin. I think it was Wisconsin. And fires broke out in Wisconsin. Oh. And the bear, the mama bear, they had nowhere to go. So they started to swim across Lake Michigan. Yeah. Um, one of the baby cub, there's only two islands or is there three? I believe there. Because this changes my story from sad to happy, depending on what you say. So you're responsible. Yeah, so there's the North Manitou Island, which is 15,000 acres. Um, okay. And then there's the South Manitou Island. Uh, okay. So there's only two. All right. So Mama Bear only had one cub. <laughs> That's what I'm going <laughs> to go with to make this happy. Mama Bear had one cub. Fire breaks out. They start swimming across Lake Michigan because they can't escape. Swimming, swimming, swimming. Baby cub gets tired, hops on mama's back. Swim, 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 swim. 
and they see the shoreline, but they can't quite make it. So they keep swimming. So mama like rests in the water and, uh, she like just falls asleep and, and other cub, you know, kind of falls off her back, swims, you know, and gets kind of taken a little bit South of her. And, uh, he, he's really tired. So he has to, you know, fall asleep too. And there's chilling in the water sleeping and all the birds and all the turtles and everything or whatever else, they start like landing on the bear yeah. and they make their home on the bear. Yeah. And, uh, over time, you know, they kind of hibernate or whatever is the, you know, folk story. And then like they form the Manitou islands. So anyway, that's a kid story. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's like like the the legend of Manitou islands, a lot of like scuba diving and lighthouses. So there, there's recreation opportunities, but there's no like actual, uh, you know, you can't go there and stay in a hotel or whatever. Yeah. It's, you gotta go across on a ferry. I mean, it was, formed from a bear so it can't be that big yeah. so that's um, cool let's see yeah so those were apparently on fire which why would those be on fire um if there was you know I, yeah that is interesting know. it's very interesting god um, darn meteors god damn meteors space rock it's a space <laughs> peanut um these massive fires called into question how to best practice land use and avoid future catastrophe mm. So new methods were developed, but took a long time to be established as common practice in law. Public awareness for proper timber use, storage, and responsible lumberjacking and forestry were enhanced, which led to a new public figure being introduced, Smokey the Bear. Mm. There he is. The Great Michigan Fire, as they call it, the Chicago Fire, and the Peshtigo Fire combined to be what is known as the worst fire disaster in American history. Wow. As far as life lost, um, economic impact, yeah. and uh, the amount of timber burned. Right. Which was over 4 billion pounds, which is insane. That is, so that's, that's the craziest. I never would have thought that would happen in Michigan. No. Uh, like I've heard of the like Chicago would, fire, but I had no yeah. idea that it like spread into Michigan and there was the the outcome of that too what i'm surprised about is that so the hartwick pines which you're familiar with state park that's like one of the last old growth pine forests in uh southern michigan like the lower peninsula i'm amazed that that survived <laughs> yeah yeah crazy i mean you never know it could i mean I don't maybe know. it burned I mean, and then it maybe that's it burned all, and there was yeah. only a little bit left so right yeah, Hartwick Pines is really a cool spot. If you're living in Michigan and you've never been up to Hartwick Pines, it's when you walk into that forest, it just feels different. Oh, it does. It's, it's, it's a, old. a different vibe. You get you. It's old. It's the trees are huge. Yeah, um, big old white pine trees. Yeah, it's very cool. So go check it out. But yeah, man, that's so. As far as being uh, in the woods all the time, do you know of any like new practices or anything like that that's going on with as far as responsible forestry or anything like that? Well, I think uh, recently in our in our part of Cadillac, so we manage a bunch of acreage, state forest campgrounds, um, all sorts of stuff in the Cadillac area. There's been a lot of logging going on, and there's a, there's some different types of logging practices that happen these days. There's selective cuts. There's clear cuts. Um, so, like a selective cut is uh, they select trees, and you know it in some areas doesn't even look like they've logged like they they'll, they'll take out hundreds of trees but it's just thinning out the large mm-hmm. portions of the forest whereas a clear cut is like 
fan, like everything pretty much is going. Um, and so there's, there's a couple different operations that are happening in our district right now, but those are the two main practices and those help cut down on forest fires, obviously, but they all, they promote new growth as well. And then, like I said, the prescribed burns, um, which I mean, prescribed burns happen all over the country, like with various, uh, natural resources, like department of natural resources type group doing it. Um, so those are the, the main types of like wildfire prevention, um, especially, and I'm only familiar really with the Michigan practices, but we have a, we have a forestry department within the DNR that Mm -hmm. does all of that. There's, there's guys who are experts on, um, they go out and they say, okay, we're going to go in this 200 acres. We're going to do a prescribed burn and they will create fire lines with tractors and have crews on standby to you know do whatever they need to do um i haven't been a part of one of those uh we're going to have a prescribed burn at one of our in some of the state forest land um where one of our campgrounds is and they're gonna they're gonna burn out there so i'm hoping mm-hmm. to at least witness it and experience some of it they did the last time they did a burn there was about seven years ago um so it's grown back quite a bit but and they're gonna yeah. do it again um but yeah those are some of the things that are going on around me that i'm familiar with but yeah. Yeah. Selective cuts, clear cut, prescribed burning, and but even prescribed burning can get out of hand. So got to you know mm. the state agencies, the national agencies do it carefully. Yeah, I thought I remembered every I don't know, every 10 years, 7 years sounds familiar where they would go in and do a, a controlled burn. Like it has to be done every now and then, so it doesn't yeah. just become out of control. And I think that's it the depends way too. Things. It's all like so we go. It depends on the the climate of the season too. So like if we're in a big uh, dry spell where everything is really uh, like wildfire risks are high, they're not going to do a controlled burn because it can get out of hand extremely easily. So um, typically, I mean, everything kind of has to be right. Like the weather conditions need to be right. Lower winds are favorable. Um, not super dry is favorable because it won't get out of hand as easily. So, um, just you know, doing it smart and yeah. intelligently. But that's that's what the the forestry guys get paid to do. So, and in in like in the state park realm, we will in our small, you know, we cut down some trees and do this and that. We do it mostly because of hazard tree surveys. So, like we go through the campground and do hazard tree surveys and say that tree right there is a hazard tree because it's dead and there's a target so there's a campsite right there we're inviting people to camp here and there's a dead tree on the site so we have to take yeah. the tree down so it doesn't fall on somebody's camper or whatever um or we'll say you know that there's a tree there that has dead branches we're going to trim those not cut the tree down because we don't need to so that's sort of our management in the state forest campgrounds and in the, in the park go through find and but then cutting those trees down creates new opportunities for growth. So like a lot of times at the park itself, when we cut a tree down, we try to plant a new one in that in the same general area. So, um, you know, we're not just cutting them down and then leaving it and not replacing it. We like this year we've planted like I don't know ten different trees because we cut down about ten last year. So, um, that's that's sort of what we do in the parks and rec department uh, for helpful management yeah that's cool we we learned a lot i guess from as far as responsible timber i can't help but think back about 
the fact that what they were doing is just like literally cutting down from what I learned. It was cutting just straight down up everything. clear guts. Yeah. Straight. They massacre. Yep. Yeah. And they were just like, they would send these logs down the rivers. Yes. And Cadillac was built out. on the lumber industry. So, you yeah. know, like the canal that's in between Lake Cadillac and Lake Mitchell, that was mm-hmm. man-made to float wood, to float oh, timber. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. And, and the practices of, and like we know this because like you said, Hartwick Pines is one of the old, like last old growth pine forests in the state because there was no responsible timber. It just, we're going to cut the shit down and we're going to move to the next spot. So mm-hmm. now, like I said, there's a lot of lumber action going on in our area, but it's being done responsibly and sustainably. So in a couple of years, that can be done again um, yeah. and be sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, man, I, I didn't, I was always wondering about that canal, but that's a good answer. Yeah. Uh, I I just can't help but think like okay we didn't know shit about lumber and tim- timber back then right how to do this stuff like what are we doing now these days yeah it's like sure and uh, you know next hundred fifty years where we're gonna yeah be like, it's like everything though it's like drilling for yeah. oil and in mining pro you know all that like all of these things are really invasive to the earth and we're figuring out and even like agricultural farming right like we've talked about mm-hmm. Absy Farms and regenerative agriculture and like modern farming practices monoculture like i'm gonna just farm corn and there's gonna be five thousand acres of corn we're figuring out that that just kills the topsoil over time and that a regenerative practice where you rotate cattle and you rotate crops and you have various crops and um so it's very it's more diverse and it allows Mm -hmm. for um a healthy you know healthy soil and and when there's healthy soil it sequesters more carbon out of the atmosphere and we're all and obviously we need that to happen so there's yeah. a lot more science to it than that but that's the basic gist of it like we're we're moving towards a more it's just more natural like it's the way that yeah. nature intended it to be so um the more we learn the better it's going to get and i think that's the way things are going to go a lot of those large uh like the monoculture agricultural uh farming that those practices are going to start to dissipate a little bit mm-hmm. um it's just that's what we've done for you know, hundred years is huge farms that do one thing. And I think we're going to start moving away from that the next, I don't know, 30 to 40 years. I hope. Yeah. And if you can get hooked up with it now, a hundred percent. Yeah. And there's a big movement, especially with uh, people our age and younger are making, uh, I mean, they're moving into like, I'm going to go be a farmer and I'm going to do a regenerative agriculture, like, pasture farm where there's mm-hmm. there is crops and there is cattle and there's there's more stuff to it um but it makes it more sustainable in the long run yeah just let nature do its thing and it'll it'll work it'll work for us work with it dance with nature don't that's fight right we got to dance with nature yeah. instead of just putting a gun to its head and say give me more shit <laughs> give me more i want it because if you do that then you know what happens we get wildfires that Boil you alive <laughs> in Michigan. In Michigan, yeah, that was the craziest thing to me. I just was looking up tornadoes and uh, and I found this story. I'm like, dude, this yeah. needs to be talked about. Um, I think I don't know. I'm trying to find like a lesson in this. It's just like nature's gonna do its thing. Yeah, I think the lesson might be is that irresponsibility can lead to bad shit happening. Yeah. Like we're not invincible. Nope. Um, if we're irresponsible, I mean, you look at this in all facets of our life, not just natural disasters, but yeah. Um, you know anything in our life bad shit can happen like we're not things will course correct whether you want it to or not yeah 
yeah, you go cr- if yeah, you go off plan or if you go too hard in one thing, like your body is a good example. Your body will tell you like you have yes. to slow down. You have to do that. Like your body will tell you what it needs. Just like nature tells yeah. us what it needs, and sometimes it tells us violently. But nature is it it's it's merciless, but it's also just. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. There's no, uh, it's objective. It just does what it does. It's, it's not out of hate or spite. Yeah. We just have to, like, I love that you, like, dance with nature instead of, instead of forcing it to do things that isn't natural. All right. Well, that is, that is their episode. The great, it's called The Great Michigan Fire of 1871. That's what people have titled this yeah. fire. So, coupled with Chicago Fire and Peshtigo. I loved it. That was great. Thanks for taking me along on that adventure. Absolutely. And we will be back uh, next week with another episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. We'll see you then. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.